Today on the Amped Up to 11 podcast, Eric Eckenberger. Eric is an active amputee who enjoys motorcycles, snowboarding, and competes in boxing. During a tragic train accident, Eric lost his right leg and a portion of his left foot. Eric has gone on to not only win the 2023 First Annual Amputee in the Ring Award, but also is the owner of Crooked Halo Clothing, a fashion brand that seems to define the strength and perseverance of this talented amputee. It is our pleasure to introduce Eric Eckenberger. Eric Eckenberger in the house. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, brother. How you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you too, man. Coming from South Bend, Indiana. That's right. <laughs> good old South Bend. South Bend. Haven't been there, but uh, I would like to go there. It's um, it's a place that I I do believe my my day job is going to take me at some point. At least we've been talking about it. But uh, have you lived in South Bend your whole life? I live right outside of South Bend. I was born in Mishawaka, just a couple minutes outside of South Bend. But okay. currently, yes, I do reside in South Bend. So you're like you're like an Indiana original. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, right? Corn fred and bread. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I mean, we have guests from all over the world, and that is super interesting for me. And when I meet a, a Midwesterner like myself, uh, we definitely have a connection point, um, just given our culture and what we experience in the Midwest. <laughs> it, it is a thing. A lot of people don't really regard it as much, but you know, people always talk about East Coast, West Coast in the U.S., but Midwesterners, there's definitely a type of person um, a more relatable, let's say, type of person <laughs> right. that lives in the Midwest. So that's a cool thing. You know, I've done some reading, as I do with all guests, Eric, on you. Um, you've shared a lot of your story with me uh, through email, through some phone conversations. We've we've had the opportunity to get acquainted. So I'm I'm coming at this particular interview in a very familiar space. But I also have a lot of curiosities about you. The thing that jumps off the page for me is that you have a clothing brand. You have your own, you know, let's call it a homegrown empire that's happening. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the Crooked Halo brand, as you call it, were you always someone that was interested in fashion? Was that something that was kind of like part of your life? part of your culture like growing up how did all that start um the actual the name crooked halo was going to be a snowboard company that i wanted to start i was about 13 years old when i came up with that name um the actual logo uh, for the company didn't uh, come to fruition until february of 2020 hmm. but uh, after my accident i couldn't compete at the level that i used to compete or i couldn't have i couldn't do the same things i used to do and uh, snowboarding wasn't as joyful as it used to be, but I still wanted to stay into the culture. Um, so through the clothing, I was able to stay into the culture, and that's where Kirk Halo went from being a snowboard company to more of a clothing brand. Wow, that's really cool. So in the spirit of that culture, that passion that you had, I mean, I'm a musician, so of course I always want to feel this sort of like connection point to that. 
and I, you know, I don't perform professionally and I don't do a lot of the things that I would have loved to do as a young man, let's say, but I always have this sort of burning desire to still feel like my finger is touching it in some way. And looking at your website and looking at the brand itself, it, it definitely has that kind of cool, slick edge kind of to it. And I love the logo. I love the look that you've sort of created in that space and definitely something that uh, people should be checking out. Um, and, you know, that goes back to the idea of clothing should say something about a person, right? Yes. And I think with people that engage snowboarding, skateboarding, any of those kind of types of activities, it seems to me, and you could probably speak to this better, uh, fashion plays a role in all of that, wouldn't you say? Oh, that without a doubt. I mean, even going back to high school days where uh, kids that didn't even skateboard or ride BMX, I mean, they were wearing DCs or wearing Etnies or getting into that whole um, street style type culture, um, even if they weren't involved in the sport. And that just shows the grasp the action sports had on that whole community. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yes, I believe it, they go hand in hand for sure. No, that's that's kick ass. And um, when you were coming up, obviously, given your connection to snowboarding, I'm assuming you were a pretty active kid. I mean, you were one of those guys out there that we see on all the videos kind of punishing your body all the time. Yeah, if it didn't hurt, if there was an option of getting hurt, I probably didn't want to do it because uh, that gave me that adrenaline rush that, you know, um, that I've, I guess always been chasing, which kind of resulted in my accident was that chase for adrenaline. But, were you, uh, were, we'll I was going to say, were, were you always kind of that thrill seeker, that guy that, you know, I hate to compare it to like, because this, this is a whole nother level of, you know, extreme, you know, the whole jackass thing. Um, you know, that, that kind of band of, of, you know, crazy that goes on where these guys are just putting themselves in like very, very dangerous situations. Yeah. They were, uh, as far as the, the, the jackass, uh, scene goes, I was more controlled in my recklessness and in, in the fact that I could have landed it at, you know, I don't have to get hurt. Now I did have a lot of friends just do stupid stuff like jackass was doing just for the laughs and stuff. But, um, no, it wasn't for me. I wanted to land it. I didn't want to get hurt, but that, that was part of the thrill. Yeah. So, so the adrenaline rush was probably part of it, but also wanting to pursue excellence in that particular discipline to say, yeah, I, I get off on the speed or, or the, the risk, risk taking that's involved with this. However, I want to get really good at it. And that, that in itself is admirable. Right. I, and I got pushed a lot, motivated a lot to do different things that my friends wouldn't do purely based off the fact is that they thought they couldn't do it. Um, and I didn't see any reason why someone said they couldn't do something. So I would go ahead and try to push myself to do it. And if I did it, then they suddenly believed in themselves. So yeah, uh, it worked out pretty good. I, I always refer to that as uh, positive peer pressure. Uh, All right, nice, it, it's nice. when we, it's when we push our limits, you know, based on our peer group. And I always tell young people, try to surround yourself with people that are going to bring out the best in you. 
Try to surround yourself with people who challenge you, push you into uncomfortable spaces, and hopefully that can create a calculus for forward movement in your life where you feel like you're getting somewhere. And um, it sounds like you you had a group of friends that, and hopefully still to this day, uh, supported each other. And whether things got crazy or not, it was just, that was just, you were part of that gang sort of mentality, you know? It, yeah, it was. And unfortunately, a lot of the friends that um, I grew up with, uh, I ended up going a different direction instead of distracting themselves. And then uh, I've lost a lot of friends to uh, pain pills and stuff like that. So I'm, there's very few of us still running around, but there are some of us. So Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. And from what I've read about you and in talking with you, it, it, it would seem to me that there are aspects of your childhood that were strugglesome. I mean, you've yeah. you've talked very openly about some of those trials, some of those things that occurred in your life that created maybe a need to thrill seek. Maybe maybe you were trying to supplement some of your uh, losses, let's say in, in family or in certain dynamics with some of this excitement of f wanting to feel like you were embracing life and, and doing things that tested you and made you, because here's the thing, I always say, Okay, what makes me feel alive? Because there are certainly things that don't make us feel alive. Things we have to do. You know, that's the I have to, I'm supposed to, um, people expect me. Those don't necessarily make us, as humans anyway, I believe, feel very alive. However, there are things, passions, different types of activities that we engage that very much make us feel alive, you know? So yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about what you've been through because we can dive right into your train accident and say, oh, Eric, this terrible thing happened. You know, you, uh, you know, again, thrill-seeking, trying to jump on a moving train, going through a terrible accident, subsequent amputations. We could start there. However, it would appear to me that all of what you experienced in your youth and some of that struggle in your life sort of led you into that moment where yes. everything kind of changed like in an instant, you know? Yes, so, I, so if I you don't mind, you. I, 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 I'd like to talk about that. Where, where do you, where do you, where do you cite in your mind when you think back Okay, this is when things started to get kind of difficult for me. How would how would you describe that? Uh, the first event that would come to my mind, um, I, I was maybe six or seven years old, and uh, one of my good friends at the time, him and his older brother actually stole a pack of cigarettes from one of the local stores, and uh, his older brother made it across the street, and he didn't. He got hit by a semi. And um, mm. I actually didn't shed any tears over that because I think I was too young to understand, like, the whole – what death is and all that stuff. So that, I think that's where it all really started. Um, and then like my grandpa, he, he passed away. He fell through the ice and drowned uh, ice fishing when I was maybe eight or nine. So it's losing people really close to me. Uh, just became something that just happens. And in a tragic way. 
because yeah. people can yeah. die of natural causes. I recall my my own grandfather passing, and it was somewhat of natural causes. Uh, it was not a tragic event, like a drowning or or some kind of, uh, you know, uh, auto, you know, bizarre auto, you know, someone gets hit by a truck or, you know, whatever happened. So, some of that is extraordinary and I would think very hard to digest uh, for a young man. Um, yeah. So that you feel like that's kind of where things started. I think that was definitely the first Lego block of building strength and giving me the motivation to, hey, you know, this is just life. Um, this is just how it's going to be. So either you deal with it and push forward, or you're going to give up. And I don't give up. So um, the only option was to keep going forward. Yeah. Even at a young age. And how, how, how did you how did you do as a teenager? I mean, what what was uh, what was the culture like? What, what, what was your friend group like? What were you engaging at that time? When uh, I was, when I was probably about 13 years old, I was still involved in soccer, um, still in snowboarding. I was still riding BMX. I was still being very active. I was no longer um, in baseball, anything like that. Then once I got into high school, um, I stopped all extracurricular activities, and I was just strictly riding BMX and snowboarding. Uh, and the, as far as my group of friends, we were all just people that just liked adrenaline, and we really, to be honest with you, we just didn't really give a shit about the care like you we didn't care about anything we just wanted to have fun we if it scared us then it was probably something fun to do and that's that's all of us everybody in my group we were all the same way yeah yeah and you know when i think about the accident itself and it it correct me if i'm wrong this was this was something that occurred after you were drinking correct yes that is correct okay yep. So had you had had experienced any issues with, uh, you know, substance abuse up until that point? I've always struggled with uh, alcoholism. Okay. Um, and that, and that kind of goes back to my father and growing up and um, it just kind of runs in the family. That's not an excuse. Um, I, it's more of me just saying, hey, yeah, I messed up. I was drinking and yeah. So I'm not trying to make an excuse for it. No, not at all. And I was uh, a very avid uh, drinking, partying person when I was when I was a teenager. Got, you know, admittedly, you know, like you're saying, admittedly, I got in a car many times when I shouldn't have, and and drove a vehicle when I shouldn't have. So, you know, that's that's my little come to Jesus moment to say, yeah, I I did some things that I shouldn't have been doing. And, right. you know, obviously there was there was a set of circumstances where you're drinking, you're having a great time, something in your mind, some some light switch goes off that says, hey, see that moving train? I'm going to jump onto that moving train. And had you ever done that previous to that moment? And that's funny. No, I have not. And I actually grew up six houses from railroad tracks. I I waited at railroad tracks many times as a kid waiting for that train to go by. I never once tried it. The one time I did, I was 20 years old and it did not end up good. Uh, I could safe to say I won't be trying it again anytime soon. Yeah. So, so I guess in, in, in my mind, I think, okay, you never tried it previously. So this was your, your, let's call it your, your test flight, so to speak. <laughs> right, right. Like, Hey, I think I'm just going to jump on this moving train. Um, right. 
not that you weren't familiar with trains, because you, like you said, you live near one. You you know how big and massive and dangerous they are, right? right. Um, I don't think we realize how powerful trains are until we're close up. So I'm 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 a pretty avid uh, cyclist. I ride my bike everywhere, and and nice. very often I get stopped at a railroad crossing because there's a freight train that's going by. And I sit there and I look at this thing and I think, this is one serious, massive, powerful, uh, ominous piece of equipment that's going, that's clicking by right now. And never, ever have I thought, oh yeah, I can just jump on, right? <laughs> Unless I'm in a video game, I'm not jumping on the train. Right. Um, so in that moment, when you made that conscious decision to start running, because I'm assuming you'd have to run to get on the train. Yeah, that's that's where um, the alcohol came in. I, I really didn't even run. Yeah, you felt like, what, you just felt like you were floating? I felt like I could just jump on the train with my arms and I'd be good to go. And wow. my legs got tossed. Yeah, I know. I know. Wowee. So you just literally just like jumped forward, reached out to grab what, like a ladder on the side of a car? Exactly, the ladder on the side of the car. It was a Norfolk Southern freight train, yeah. Wow. And I'm assuming you just got sucked under. I did. Uh, and then uh, I was found about a block away. And uh, the, I actually jumped on the train. There was nobody around me when I did it. And the lady who found me had actually just got up from bed. She was thirsty and was getting a glass of water. And the window above her sink actually looked over the, the railroad tracks. And she's the one that called uh, 911. So it was either a trash bag or a, uh, a person just got hit. Hmm. So, so when the train rolled over you, your lower extremity, um, it, it just, you, it kind of kicked you away from the tracks and you were just nearby. How did, how did that all occur? Or do you from not remember? What I was told from the first responders is that I was, a, I was found on the adjacent tracks. You know, one goes one way, one goes the other. I was found on the adjacent one. Um, I still had both my legs. I did end up passing out from blood loss. Uh, and then I woke up in the when I woke up in the hospital, I had what I call a rat trap on my right leg because there's just poles going everywhere trying to hold it together. And I sweat mm -hmm. all my toes on my left foot. Uh, nothing got cleanly amputated. Um, more crushed. Yeah. Sounds like more crushed than amputated. I mean, more uh, just completely mangled. Yeah, yeah. And it and it. Uh, what would you say in that process? You know, subsequent would have been the moment where you, you had that like, oh no, what have I done kind of moment? The moment um, I was on the track looking up and I realized I didn't even care to try to get help because I knew like this was it. I thought this was it. Um, yeah, my life's going to end I, right I, here. Yeah, I finally I finally got that rush that I was looking for and this one I'm not coming back from is what I thought. Mm. And uh, the days the, the, the days after in the hospital. I mean, tell me what that was like. What what was that grieving process like for you? Uh, that's a very, very good question. I was so under the influence of medicine and just the disbelief of what was going on that when it first happened, it wasn't, it really didn't fully hit me until the doctor came in and was like, hey, we could keep your leg 
or we can amputate it. And if we amputate it, you're probably gonna be much better off. I think that's when it finally hit me like, oh, things are never gonna be the same now. And and yeah. you lost uh, one leg below the knee, and then a portion of your foot, or an entire foot. I lost. Uh, well, we'll put it to you this way: they said if they had to amputate any more on my left foot, that I would have two prosthetic legs. So I have no toes on my left foot at all. Mm -hmm. um, if there's that, there's that big pad behind your big toe. Yep. It's that that's amputated off. So mm -hmm. there's really nothing left, just a skin graft and a little bit of a foot. Yeah. And then uh, right leg below the knee, correct? Yeah, six inches below the right knee. Okay, got it. So really, in, really in truth, you're you're a double amputee. Um, and I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like to say that I'm a double amputee because some, there's so many people that have it worse. But yeah, yeah. I'm well, sorry, you know, that. there's varying degrees, and you're right. And and I try to be careful about that whole talk about so many people have it worse. I mean, I've met I've met quads that are living out their lives in magnificent ways. And I For tend sure. to, I tend to go to that. Okay. Well, they have it much worse and, and they'll look at me and say, no, no, I don't, I don't have it worse. It's just different. You know? Right. I like, I like that. It's just different. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think, uh, our struggle is necessarily measured by the degree of amputation everyone manages this situation differently you're you're in a uh, uh incredibly inspirational position that you live a very very engaged life you're still an athlete you are have pursuits professionally that exceed some people's wildest expectations many many amputees look at someone like you and see you as a, as a very much a success story in terms of your comeback, um, which is always evolving, which is always part of the plan and what we're trying right. to accomplish, me, me included. And um, I, I try to keep it in a, hey, anyone that has experienced a disability on any level, nobody knows... Uh, how bad that is for them um, right. and how much that's affecting, you know, their ability to live their best life. And, um, you know, given that you were into snowboarding, I guess the place that I go to thinking about, you know, your accident, finding out, okay, doctor comes in reality check. Hey, you're, you're, you know, there's going to be an amputation involved. Um, in that moment, the uh-oh, my life's about to change. This is the question that I ask a lot of amputees, especially traumatic survivors, is so in your mind, what is your thoughts in terms of prosthetics, in terms of adapting as, a, uh, as an amputee? Like what, is there anything that you're thinking uh, how do I move forward from this? Not any initial thoughts. Uh, at the time of the accident, I wasn't even involved with social media yet. Um, so I, there was no groups or anybody to look out to. All I knew was that uh, I'm not going to give up. That's, that's, I, don't, I didn't really have any other um, choices. And, and um, 
we haven't touched on it yet, but February of that first of, of, of that year, um, one of my best friends, a gun went off and hit him in the side of the head. So when he passed away a couple months later, the train accident happens. My mind is still with him um, and helping out with my friends and helping making sure everybody else is staying strong through that tragic accident. Uh, I kind of put myself to the back burner because I, I'm strong enough to get through it. I don't know if I knew that, but I know that now. So you're grieving the loss of a friend. You've gone through this horrific accident, life-threatening accident. You finally come to out of that medical fog, let's call it. And you're still dealing with the residual feelings of losing yeah. your friend. Uh once I got out of the hospital, I spent it was one month in the hospital uh, recovery time. I obviously had to recover a little bit longer at home. The only thing that could really explain what I was thinking was I wasn't used to who I was, and I was definitely not used to who I became. So it was really hard for me to ask anybody questions because I didn't even know what questions to ask. Um, I mean, I was still worried about my other friends. This is how it was. Yeah. And what would, what would you what would you say to a new amputee? So I come to you and I just found out I'm going to have an amputation and you know what would be what would be your advice given the life path that you've had up to this point? It's going to be a hell of a ride um and it's I know you're thinking it's going to be a bad ride, but it's actually very inspirational. You're going to open up a lot of eyes, uh, mainly your own eyes about how many people are going to be inspired by just you learning how to walk again. Are you learning to do something? Are you even doing something they wouldn't be willing to try to do with all their limbs? Um, the biggest, the main thing is, I guess, patience and day by day, because there's a lot to come. Yeah. I think the day by day theme, you know, hour by hour, if necessary, minute by minute is the, right. is the mantra of most amputees because just walking across the room, can seem impossible at first and yep. someone like yourself who is uh you know winning awards for boxing um that's to me is extraordinary is that something that you ever thought like oh yeah that's that's something that i'm gonna do no um I never seen myself uh, going that path. I, I, I did grow up uh, in a Taekwondo um, family and uh, my dad was big into it. And I did do a few um, classes. I was never really big into it, but I was always uh, a fighter, um, whether it was with emotions or physical. So when the, when the boxing presented itself, whenever I was asked if I could do this, or if I could do that, I never questioned it. I just said, yes. And then I figured out the, uh, the variables later on. Yeah. Yeah. So goal setting and then, okay, how do I reach that particular goal? I'll fill, I'll, well, I'll fill in the blanks somehow. Well, yeah, I, I have a lot of, Oh shit moments. Like how <laughs> the hell did I, how, how did I get myself in the situation? <laughs> I'm, I'm in the situation. I can't, I can't back out now. So <laughs> how are we going to get this done? <laughs> so there's been a, yeah, I've got myself into many, many Oh shit moments in my life. No, that's that's a brilliant way to put it. Um, when you when you think about you know your clothing brand, what you're doing in the sports arena, and you know coming on a podcast and talking about your life experience and 
so many, so many of us out there are going to hear your story and they're going to be inspired. They're going to say, okay, like I can get to tomorrow. Like this, oh, yeah, you can. this yeah. is going to, this is going to work. I can do this. And those things that they thought they couldn't do, or that were, let's say over in their lives, that there, there, there was, you know, those dreams were going to end. Um, these kinds of stories are the ones that people will circle back and say, no, 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 no. I'm not giving up on that. No, you, you, just get, it's, you just have to do things a little bit different than what everybody else does. Um, for a perfect example, I used to try to wakeboard even when I had both my legs and yeah. I could never get up on top of the water. It wasn't until I lost my leg and I wrapped my prosthetic in a trash bag got strapped into the wakeboard and I decided to try opposite of what I normally would have done, which is riding switch with my right leg forward. And for the first time I got out of the water, I never got out of the water with both legs. I got out of the water with one leg and no toes though. It's just, I didn't give up. It's amazing, right? I, 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 I guess so. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's just another way of figuring something else out. I don't really see it as, I just see it as a different way to a different way to get the same thing done. Well, you're very, you're very humble. I mean, how how when you think about the amputee culture, because you you mentioned social media, and you know we're talking about perceptions of people, okay. right? How do you want amputees to be seen? How do, how do you want you know the general public, let's say, to see someone like you and me? I don't, I don't think there's any reason to look at us any different. Um, I'm sure it looks weird when you see us jumping on one leg or we're crawling around or like I was at a, a place uh, not too long ago, it was a couple months ago and my leg came loose or my foot came loose and it was spinning around and I had to ask, you know, for Alan Ranch. I mean, there's little different things, but I, at the end of the day, it's still life. I mean, there's still a heart behind um, the physical body. So I don't, um, I don't really know what I would say to it. I don't know. I uh, I don't know what I would even say to myself. I, I don't know. That's really hard. That's a really good question. Well, I think, I think for me, it's all about normalization. There's, uh, right. there's this effort to normalize, at least from where I'm sitting, I think, okay, you know, what am I doing as a person, you know, as a functioning person, an active person? someone who pursues my dreams, my passions. How am I presenting myself to the world in, in such a way that someone says, you know, I know Rick, he does this, this, and this, and all these other things. And, oh, yeah, and by the way, I think he's an amputee too. <laughs> uh, if I've done my it, job it, as a human. Gotta, <laughs> isn't, isn't it kind of cool, though, when people ask you that? Like, they don't even know that you're an amputee. Like, they... They're like, they just look at like what you're doing and then they find out you're an amputee and suddenly they think it's so much like, oh, wow, it's even better. But to us, it's kind of like, no, that's just kind of what, exactly. like, what I do. Yeah. It's one of the greatest uh, I, compliments you can pay an amputee. And it, and, them they're not, you know. <laughs> and, it has to, and it has to come from an honest place. It can't be contrived is to say, you know what, dude, I never knew until I, until you walked in in shorts that one day. I never right. knew that you were an amputee. I right. had no idea. And to I, me, I, I, that's, you know, that's the goal. Well, it's, it's huge. And I, I, I still ride um, a Harley and I don't modify any of my motorcycles at all. 
meaning that I break on my right side with my prosthetic and I shift on the side with no toes. And I was actually even a part of a club at one point uh, without going too deep into that. Um, I'm just letting people know that people are probably going to ask, well, how do you shift with no toes? Well, I just got the shifter caught on my boot and I pulled up. You know, it just, it's just a matter of doing things differently. Everything can be done the same, but the approach is just has to be different. That's it. So do you feel like adaptation is a major sort of like key force in your life is that just do it differently. Do it. Just do it differently. I, that, um, but I would say my the the term I would probably use is just be extremely open as far as flexibility goes. Yeah. If it doesn't work this way, have some patience. Think about it. You take a nap on it if you have to. Come back to it. You'll get it figured. You'll get it figured out. So, you know, talking about something as rigorous as boxing, how do, how do you go how do you go at that as in in terms of the discipline that's involved, the mobility, the agility, the strength, all of those things that are required? Um, you know, give us some some tips. I mean, what what does that feel like for you and how how did you do it differently? How did you adapt? I, I literally like we had just uh, talked about uh, the whole step in step mentality. When I walked into that boxing gym, um, I walk, I went there by myself. All I did was stand in the corner, watch everybody else. And then I was offered, uh, or I was asked by one of the coaches, uh, her name is Eva Jones. She's actually uh, like a three-time women's world champion in boxing, 11 time uh, on her own accord. She's got a lot of accolades, I should say. And um, I started walking around the track, around the ring. And then I started going sidestep. And then one day I started jogging and I'll never forget, I felt my hair move because uh, I was moving so fast. And when I felt my hair move, I yeah. finally realized I, I'm getting, I'm, I'm doing something here. And next thing I know, I was, I mean, I was running a mile every practice. Well, one mile, one way. So two miles every practice. And yeah, uh, that's yeah. the shit. That's those breakthrough moments, you know, when you, when you say, holy shit, I'm doing it. Like I'm doing right. it. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, that, those are the moments that are um, are tear worthy, uh, especially in a personal aspect when you haven't feel when, when you haven't have like you people really something as small as having your hair move when you're running. Um, it's something that was very very um, for granted at least on my side until it happened, and then I realized like wow, uh, it's just little things. It's the little things, you know. I'm a I've been a drummer since I was five years old. I've been involved in music my entire life, and you know, losing my right leg uh, is a, it's it's a critical piece of uh, drum playing. It's 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 almost more important than your hands. Um, it, it's 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 a, a a major fundamental component of playing a drum kit is you have to have your right foot. It just it's it's very difficult to do it without, and uh, there were definitely times where I believed I I don't think I'm going to be able to do this anymore. I don't I don't think I'm going to be able to adapt, and I did have a few of those moments that you're describing, where suddenly your prosthesis, being an amputee, all of the stuff the baggage that comes with this situation dissolves right and you say holy shit i'm doing it <laughs> right that's like, there's no better feeling yeah it's like 
I'm hitting my stride. Everything is happening. Um, I'm performing, I'm playing, I'm competing. I'm doing this at a level that I can be proud of. And I think that's something that all amputees should develop a desire and a thirst for to get to those golden moments um, of joy and happiness, you know? And, um, you know, stories like yours help me fuel that desire. Because um, when I see someone like you in these spaces, it's, you know, it's, it, it's something that I know I, I, I could never do. I think I, <clears throat> I think I actually, when I was younger, I, I tried to work out on a heavy bag once. <laughs> Dude. Oh my gosh. And this is when, I, this is when I was young and in shape. Talk about the most exhaustive workout I've ever done. Cause yeah. someone will say, oh yeah, just work on this bag for, you know, 15 minutes. Um, that's a long time to go just go out of heavy bag. I'm like, I, I felt like I was going to die. I mean, I was right. out of breath. You got to pace yourself. <laughs> I was out of breath. <laughs> my shoulders hurt. My hands hurt. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, how do guys go into a ring and they, they have to perform at this level and they also have to get hit while they're doing it. And yeah. I kept thinking the heavy bag isn't hitting back. <laughs> right. What if it starts hitting me back? Now I'm really screwed, you know? Right. Then then you really want to pace yourself because you gotta have some <laughs> some uh, energy for that defense for sure. <laughs> so it's 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 all it's all very calculated. Um what would you say is the next big thing for you? Like what what are you excited about in terms of your future? Uh right now the biggest thing on my mind as far as a business venture um, would definitely, there's a Crooked Halo bourbon um, that's in the, in the discussion right now. Um, just because my shoulders are starting to get real bad from crawling um, and just, just the uh, overall deterioration of the body from the, from, you know, the surgeries and everything. And my next big goal is to be able to sit back and I want to turn Crooked Halo into like the next Red Bull or the next a big um, um, X Games, you know, or music uh, uh, festival that involves a skate park or involves, you know, um, wow. amputee, especially when amputee is involved too. I want to have, you know, both categories. Um, where does your right uh, where does your entrepreneurial spirit come from? Where does that come from? I don't know. Uh, I don't. I'm to be honest with you. I, my brother Rodney, um, he owns his own tattoo shop. He's highly, highly successful. Uh, I've got a sister who's also wrote a book. Um, but as far as I think it's because to be honest with you, man, and not to come across any type of weird way, is I just don't like to listen to people tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, was like, I just want. I just want to do it. I don't want it to be told what to do. Uh. I don't, I don't want someone bossing me around. That's why. <laughs> right, right. I want to get up and walk at my own pace. I don't need you to tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, um, you might find this interesting. Most people that are very entrepreneurial and very, very focused on their own personal path and business and enterprise come from the same thinking, which is I don't want to have a boss. 
I want to be my own boss. I want to be in charge of myself. I want to create opportunities for other people, but I just don't do well when someone is barking orders at me. Um, and that's, and that's just a certain personality type where you tend to press into leadership roles and you're, you have more of a visionary attitude and aptitude where you look at a concept, you look at a brand, you look at a logo, you look at, you know, a product and you see the possibilities, you see the expanse in front of you. There are a, a lot of folks and this is this is not a knock this this is very admirable as well they're just very good worker bees they do very well with instruction they really take a lot of pride in doing a good job for a company for a person and they reap all those benefits they do very well but then on the other side of that are people like yourself who say you know what i need to have my own flag in the sand um this is my thing what I do. And what when you start talking about building your brand and branching it out and, and pulling in other aspects of, um, you know, that concept, whether that be music, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, who knows, beverages, w w whatever that is, to say, you know, this is this is going to be a lifestyle brand. This isn't just Exactly. This a isn't, lifestyle brand. Yeah, this isn't clothing. This is about lifestyle. And mm -hmm. uh, that's a, an amazing endeavor. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask you that I found uh, kind of interesting when I was when I was looking at, you know, Crooked Halo and, um, you know, what you, what you're putting out there in terms of your brand, uh, particularly the website. Why are you not as much of a focus? And I mean you, like Eric, the amputee, yeah. the founder, the visionary, the, I mean, is, is that by design? Like you just, you, you, you want the brand to speak for itself. You don't want it to be about you or is. I, I want, I don't want it to, I don't want to, um, bottleneck my target market um there's a lot of people out there that were just like me and my friends before i lost my leg that would completely benefit from um the mindset of having a crooked halo and a crooked halo doesn't mean you're a bad person but i mean let's be honest we all have good moments and we all have bad moments so mm -hmm. everybody i've ever met in my life at some point their halo was a little bit crooked yeah um so i don't want to I, and again, I, I don't really think I've done anything crazy that any other any other person couldn't do if they just put their mind to it. I I, I, did, I, I think anybody could achieve it. I don't I don't understand. Um, and I know sometimes it's me just not giving myself enough credit or not having enough confidence in myself. But I just really don't think that it's completely unachievable by anybody else. No, and and I I appreciate you know uh, how humble you are, and um, that in itself is very inspirational. Uh, typically, people who are really enterprising, they're 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 sort of almost desperately seeking personal attention, 
Um, <laughs> yeah, it just becomes like all about them and and who they are. Because you're, I mean, Eric, your your story is extraordinary. I mean, what you've been through, and what you're doing now, and I feel like you're a little bit like this this demonstration of like lightning in a bottle. Um, <laughs> you you kind of have like all of these potentialities for outcomes, and you, you you've you've touched some things, you've you've gotten into some things, but it, I feel like you're about to explode a bit. I'm getting that feeling um, every day now. Um, in fact, I, um, which we've talked about, this is the first podcast I've ever been on. Um, yep. uh, I've already got one set up for next week and it's, um, oh, they're going to be calling. Everything is just like coming at one time. And yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, bro, sometimes a brother just needs to wake up before he can answer some emails. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it, it, everything is starting to roll on at one time. So yeah, even uh, we were just on a cruise last week. I had to do two Zoom meetings uh, that involved the bourbon while I was on the cruise. Yeah. Um, so things are just picking up on every, in, in every aspect, because unlike, or just like walking or the whiskey or uh, whatever it may be, the clothing line, everything is 110%. Um, I don't, if you're, if you're going to half ass it, just stay in bed. Yeah, no, I hear you. And, uh, I, I, I do think that the future is bright for someone like yourself. I'm going to be following you, uh, for sure. Uh, watching your progress. And when your when your your fame and fortune elevates to a very high level, um, you are going to say, you know, that Rick guy's cool. I'm going to go back on his show because, <laughs> because even though everyone else wants me to talk to them, I'm going to come and see him because he was kind of like there in the beginning when all this started popping. Yes. No, no, no. And it's very true. And honestly, um, we're recording we were this right now. I, I reached out to <laughs> you, you were literally the first person I reached out to, um, when everything was happening. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and, uh, it's, uh, it's, a uh, it's been such a pleasure uh, get to know you and i know we're we're just kind of scratching the surface at this point yeah, and yeah. you know that's why i think okay eric's definitely on the list of people we have to call and get back here uh once once he's had a chance to go and do his uh go and do his empire uh <laughs> building uh from 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 south bend indiana you know i love these stories because they they always start in these, these very, very kind of remote, kind of small, kind of, you know, little town kind of uh, beginnings, right? Um, you, you being, you know, sort of this uh, thrill-seeking kind of rebellious young guy that goes through this, this life-threatening situation and survives it only to, to triumph you know, in other aspects of his life. And it's, it's a, it's a very engaging and captivating, uh, life story thus far. And I know, um, you've got a long, long way to go and I'm right. excited to see what happens. Me too. And I, I do uh, want to mention the, uh, just the, uh, amputee in the ring from the national boxing hall of fame. Um, when I was, uh, when I found out I was receiving that award, I want to make sure people know that it wasn't about a fight record or how many fights you had. It was more about the mentality and getting in the ring 
when people didn't think you could or you would. And this was the first annual award. So for every year from now on, the National Boxing Hall of Fame will be awarding an amputee with an award, um, basically saying thank you for everything you're doing for the sport and keep pushing. And uh, that award wasn't just for me. It was for everybody. Yeah, that's rocking, man. Um, I was aware of that. I knew that this was, you know, setting a precedent for uh, future amputees, you know, setting a bar saying we need to get other active amputees into these spaces. Once again, advocacy, normalization. Hey, we can do this too. All of that stuff is super important. Um, you know, Eric, uh, again, uh, we're going to wrap it up, but I want to, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being on today. Thank you for spending the time. And, uh, I know you're going to be on many podcasts, but I'm proud to say that this is the first. Yep. Yep. This is the first one. So for sure, Eric Eckenberger, thank you again. My name is Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up 211 podcast. I want to wish everyone health and happiness, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.